Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor at the Grove Church, and thanks for joining us on our Cultivate podcast, where we're spending a few weeks talking through Bible commands, the commands of Jesus. We started just by talking about obedience in general. What is what is Jesus, you know, is obedience to God, is it essential? Is it required of us? And we talked about that it's not it's not required in the sense that one has to be obedient in order to be saved but it is essential to living and it is an essential outcome of what will happen to someone who does follow Christ. And if you did not um, catch that one, I encourage you to go back and find it. Last time we spent some time talking about just the different, the different types of Bible commands that we find both in the old Testament and the commands of Jesus, the commands of Paul, are we supposed to feel or think differently about commands based on where we read them. Are Old Testament commands different than New Testament commands or Paul's commands different than Jesus' commands? And for the next couple of sessions here, we're just going to spend some time talking about a couple of the commands of Jesus that really maybe just kind of strike us weird or maybe ones that are ones that are just difficult to understand or easily misunderstood. With this one today, I feel like this is one that is often very misused and as such misused, it's very misunderstood. And it keeps us from really, our misuse of it, our misunderstanding of it, keeps us from really being able to apply well the the great principle that I think that Jesus is trying to get across to all of us. And I think a lot of you will be familiar with this, and it is in the passage where Jesus talks about not judging other people. And so we will read the passage. It's in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Jesus says this, do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So most people, when they think about this passage, they just go with the, the first verse as if the only thing that, that um, Jesus is saying in this passage is the very first one, do not judge or you too will be judged. And what happens is when we, when we use this verse, we kind of use it as almost like we have a shield. Someone messes with you in some way, says something about you, says something about your life, says something about what you're doing. And you say, don't judge me. Jesus says, don't judge. Jesus says, don't judge. Or if you're having a conversation about someone else and you start analyzing or saying something about them and what someone else is doing, what another group of people are doing, and you say, don't judge, don't judge. Bible says, don't judge. Jesus says, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. And we just kind of use this, again, as this kind of shield. And the way that it often gets used, it gets used in such a way where it feels like the application of this is that we don't have any responsibility or we don't have any real access to speak into the lives of other people. And so I, I can't really say anything to you about anything that is going on in your life. I can't really say anything about what's going on in anyone else's life. I can't say anything about what anybody else is doing because Jesus says, don't judge. And really, which is more beneficial to me, you don't have the right to say anything to me and my life because Jesus says, you can't judge me. And so what happens then is we just have this kind of mutual agreement between the two of us because Jesus said, don't judge, that you don't get to say anything to me about my life, and I don't have to say anything to you about your life. And the way that it gets used then is essentially a get out of jail free card. 
where whatever is going on in my life is absolutely none of your business. Now, if you read cover to cover the four different gospels, then you will understand that that is absolutely not what Jesus is ever saying. In fact, he talks about this, about how if you see someone that's doing something they're not supposed to, that you're supposed to go and tell them, hey, don't do it. And if they reject that, you go back to them with a couple of people and say, hey, you have to stop doing this. And if that doesn't work, then I mean, you just kind of just keep going back. You keep going back to people when they're doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. So my involvement in your life when you are doing something wrong, whatever it is that Jesus is saying, whatever don't judge means, it does not mean that I do not have access or really, according to Jesus, I have a responsibility to help someone who is doing something that they shouldn't do. And so let's do a deeper dive into this to help us understand a little bit better what Jesus means when he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. And so let's just kind of start just by looking kind of to different levels or ideas of what it could possibly mean to say, you're judging me or something that if you did, someone might say, hey, you're judging me. And the first one we'll just call observing. I'm observing. I see you and we are at a grocery store together and I see you take something from Walmart, from Target, from the grocery store or whatever, and I see you put it in your jacket pocket and you're about to walk out with it. And I observe, hey, you just stole that. And I come up to you and say, you just stole that. And you say, don't judge me. Well, really, all at this point I have done to this point, theoretically, is observe you doing something that is wrong. And I brought it up to you. That is just me simply ob- ob- observing. And then it kind of crosses the line eventually from observing something to assessing. Okay. He stole, he took that and put it in his coat pocket. And then we walked out of here and he didn't pay for it. That is definitely stealing. And that is definitely wrong. Okay. Again, it's like, hey man, you, you stole that. That's wrong. Well, that's assessing. Well, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. You don't get to judge me. Well, the next level would be criticizing. Hey, you stole that. That's wrong. You should not do that again. You, you, need to, you, you need to go fix that. You need to go back and pay for that. We kind of get to a next level where I'm, I'm criticizing, I'm critiquing your behavior, not just observing it or assessing its relative morality, but I'm now criticizing, I'm critiquing you. And again, don't judge me, don't judge me, don't judge me. Well, the next level from that is, I, it's not simply that I've noticed that you are stealing something and criticizing you for it. Maybe now I'm going to start thinking about your character. You are not a good person. You are a thief. There's a difference between saying that someone has stolen something and to call them a thief or to then decide that they are a bad person because of their thieving. And then finally, kind of you can get to status, the status. Okay, well, not only are you a bad person, but because of the stealing that I've observed from you and because you are clearly a bad person, now I can make a essentially a judgment, if you will, about your status. You are clearly not an authentic Christ follower because you just stole something from Walmart. And so now I have the ability, or I believe that I do, I believe that I have the ability now to um, determine your status, your current status with God based on what I've observed from your behavior. 
And so you put those five things together and you just imagine them say like on some sort of on some sort of, you know, two dimensional line. And it's like there's a there's a scale that begins from I saw you steal something to you're clearly not a Christian. Somewhere on there, we start to cross the line into what I believe that Jesus is prohibiting here when he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. But I think what's really important in our understanding of what he's saying is really found in the second verse of of Matthew chapter seven, where he says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what Jesus is describing here is that judgment really becomes a problem. It becomes a problem for you because the basis on which you start to make decisions about other people is the standard that ultimately is going to be applied to you. And so I I look at you and say, well, because you stole one thing from Walmart, you are definitely not a Christian in good standing. Well, that standard then becomes applied to you. And Jesus isn't really, you know, is, this is what God's going to do to you, or this is what other people are going to do to you. I, mean, I think it's really just kind of more this general principle. If you live a life of judgment, you're going you're, you're going to have judgmental people around you. It's just kind of a, an axiom of life that you're, this, this is going to be what, what happens to you. Judgmental people end up being judged. And so what he's saying here is like the standard you give to other people is what is going to ultimately be given to you. And so if I observe you making, committing one sin, and therefore now I'm going to think all of these terrible things about you, that is what is going to now happen to you. And so before you start making those next level critical analysis about someone's heart, about someone's status, you need to think, what if this standard were applied to me? So if someone saw me do one thing that was sinful, do I want them to make the same judgments about me that I am making now about this person? And so the, one, of the, one of the big things that happens when we have this, this judgmental attitude that Jesus is talking about here is when I begin to think about you relative to me. And so I saw you steal something, therefore I think I am better than you. So what is Jesus then really prohibiting? I think the things that he is prohibiting is, first of all, that, that I'm going to look at one person's sin, and because of what I observe about their sin, I begin to think of myself as better than them and them as worse than me. What Jesus is saying is like that if I'm assessing what is going on in someone's heart, based on their behavior. I can determine their character. I can determine their status. I can determine whether or not they are a good person simply based on what I observe. I think, I believe that Jesus is completely and totally condemning that attitude. And he kind of describes what this looks like in verse three with this, hey, you're looking around at somebody and they've got some little speck of dust in their eye. And meanwhile, look at all of what is going on in your eye. You've, you've You've got a log that is blocking your complete ability to even see. How, how is it that you can make determinations about someone based on sin that you observe in their life when consider all of the sin that is in your own life? And so Jesus is most definitely calling us to be people who are involved in each other's life. Man, I see you in sin. 
you shouldn't do that. That is destructive. That is hurting you. That is hurting me. That is hurting your family. That are hurting your friends. That is damaging to your relationship with God. The ability to analyze things morally this and, and to encourage people to do better is something that God calls us to, and he's not going to rebuke that here in what, in what he says is do not judge. But it is that next level where I believe, based on my ability, my observations of your behavior, that I now have the right to speak authoritatively about who you are and who you are relative to me. Now, the way that this most often plays out is when someone has a sin or something going on with them that is very different, or at least we believe is different than what we do. And I'll just, I'll just going to point out a couple of examples of the way that this plays out. And we'll start with, with, we'll start with greed. It is really easy for people to always look at someone who has more money than them and say, you are rich. I mean, we got, we, um, depending on where you, when, when you are listening to this, we, we've just had a couple of billionaires relatively recently come back from space. And we look at these billionaires in space and we think that they, they are wasteful of their money. They, sh- they are not being very generous. They, they are doing, they, they are not good people. They are selfish. They are just interested in glory. They're just doing things that rich people do. These are, these are bad people. Um, and we say that not in just kind of analyzing, like, you know, I don't know that that is a great use of money. We, we're, there are a, some very significant character assessments that are being made by them. And so we are accusing them of greed and we are accusing them of wastefulness. Well, depending on who you are and how much money you have, if someone analyzed your spending, if someone analyzed, um, your attitude on money, would they be able to describe you as wasteful? Would they be able to describe you as greedy? You know, they should be giving more money to the poor. How about you? How much, how much money and, and effort are you giving to the poor? Just because someone is doing it on a larger scale, just because someone has 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times more money than what you have, if you're going to analyze someone's character based on how they use their money and what they should be doing it, you need to expect that that is the, that that's how you're, you should be judged as well. And I think that it is incredibly important. And we, I, I, I see this in people of all statuses. I see this in poor people, see this in, in middle-class people. I see this in upper-class people. We are always jealous of people who have more than us. And we're always significantly more interested in someone else's generosity than my own generosity. And I'm significantly more interested in how people who have more money than me waste their money than how I waste my own money. And I think that it is important when we start analyzing people based on what they do with their money, their greed, their wastefulness, their lack of generosity, that it is important for us to have the internal dialogue with ourselves about the log and the plank. I see this very clearly, I think, and what is going on with them, but what's really going on with me? And I, so I think that what Jesus is really calling us to is, 
against this idea that I am going to judge and I'm going to determine the hearts of other people on a particular issue without doing the work first to decide what is really going on in my own heart. Am I a greedy person? Am I a selfish person? And am I an envious person? Am I or am I not a compassionate person? So don't just sit and look and let's see what other people are or aren't doing. Think about first what you are or aren't doing. And maybe then once you've kind of handled that, then you can have a different, more humble conversation with somebody about their own lack of generosity or their faithfulness with their money. Another way that this happens, not only with, with money, it happens often a lot with sexuality. You, you, you see or you know someone who their sexual sin is somehow particularly abhorrent to you, that they have, they have, they have cheated on their wife, they have cheated on their husband, they are what you would call sexually promiscuous, and they are doing something sexually that the Bible condemns as out of bounds. The Bible teaches that, you know, that, that, that sex is supposed to be exclusively between a man and a woman in marriage. And so we see people who are doing things outside of that that maybe are particularly repugnant to you. And so we, we, we judge them and we get really, really angry with them. I cannot believe that you would cheat on your spouse like that. I, you know, or this is very common in, in Christian circles to, to, a, to, a, to attribute a lot of anger and frustration towards the LGBT community because of their, quote, sexual deviance and, and that they're somehow, that their sexual sin is of a particular abhorrence to you and therefore to God. And, and, and we castigate them and, and we, use, we use negative words about them. And, and, you know, heaven forbid that someone who has committed a sexual sin, be it of adultery or homosexuality, should actually show up in church. And many times I've seen this in many churches that I'm a part of, and I hear about it from churches that I'm not a part of, where someone walks in the door and because maybe you know them or you hear their story later, they have a story and it's very often sexual. They have a story of something that is going on that has gone on in their past or something that has gone on in the, going on in their present that makes them, them particularly unworthy of being able to be in your church. And I believe that this is the worst kind of judgment that we do. The worst kind of judgment where we see or say that because of some sin that you have committed in your past or some sin that you are currently committing that makes you unworthy of being able to be in the presence of God's people in worship and to hear from his word. Every time a situation like this has happened at the Grove or in other churches I've been a part of, or someone who has a past or a particularly wild present where like, he's like, can we have, I mean, like, is this, is this okay? Like, I mean, if we start eliminating sinners, then who's left? Well, this sin is public. This sin is known. It's like, well, every, is that now the standard, the standard, the standard of whether or not you are worthy to be in worship is your ability to how clever you are in hiding your sin. It's, it's when we start determining based on what someone else is doing, their relative worthiness 
to be able to hear and experience the gospel, to be able to hear and experience worship, to be able to hear and experience and to be a part of Christian fellowship. I mean, I, 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 I could tell many stories, but I, I, will, I will go back far, far away to the time when uh, a single mom who was a stripper was coming to a church that I was involved in in St. Louis. And it was, it, it was you know, of course, the question is, how, how, how did so many people know it becomes, becomes, a, uh, becomes a question worth, worth, worth exploring. But, but regardless, now we've got a stripper at the church. Is that a problem or is that exactly what this is all supposed to be about in the first place? And so we have had a lot of people at the Grove over the last few years that have a story that is scandalous. We have a, we have a story that is scandalous. And, I, and, and some of these stories are so scandalous that other churches know about them. I've had stories that are so scandalous where people from other churches call me to make sure I know about this scandalous person that is now coming to their church. And, and, and to me, there's one, I want scandalous people to come to the church too. I'm glad that's known so that, so that we can do something about it. Because the reality of it is, is that every person in every church has some sort of scandal going on somewhere in their life. It is full of scandalous people. And what Jesus is really getting at here is do not lose sight of the fact of your own sin, of your own unworthiness, your own brokenness to where that somehow that you would ever be able to look at someone else and elevate yourself over them, or that you would ever consider that because of someone else's sin, that that makes them unworthy in some way. It was one of the most dangerous, critical, hypocritical things that, that Christians do is when we decide that because they struggle with a sin that I don't struggle with, because that sin is particularly abnormal, that that makes me better than them, that somehow the commonness of a particular sin makes it okay. And I know there may be a few of you that are saying like, um, well, I mean, but, but these are sexual sins and the Bible says that that's worse. Well, okay, sure. But we don't eliminate people who look at porn. We don't look at, eliminate people who, who masturbate lustfully. And there's lots of things like we're going to analyze. Are you completely and totally 100% sexually pure? Jesus says adultery is on the same line. Adultery, you want to commit adultery? Heart lust is adultery is what Jesus said. We're going to eliminate everyone who has committed any sort of sexual sin. Well, they're not repentant. Again, we're going to eliminate everybody from a church who has a sin in their life that they are currently not sorry for. That is not a standard by which any of us want to be judged. And I think that is the big picture idea. How is it that I want God to judge me? How is it that I want other people to judge me? I don't want people to judge me based on my perfection. I don't want people to based on, on their perception of my sin. And I don't want my, my status with them or with people or with God to be questioned just because it is known that I am a sinner because I have committed some sin. This is what Jesus is speaking out against, that I will, not, I will not make decisions about someone's status, and I will not make decisions about someone's relative worth, about whether or not they can or cannot be accepted into, into, God's, into God's house, into worship, based on my understanding of their sin. Now, again, 
going all the way back to the beginning. God, ha- God has definitely called us to be actively involved in people's lives. And for every one of these scandalous stories that have come that I know about, that people will confess to me, my heart, my desire is to help them. I don't determine them unworthy of help or uh, that they, they, they shouldn't be helped, that they need to be cast out. I come to them humbly as someone who has my own set of issues, my own set of sins, my own desperate need for a savior, my own desperate need for accountability. And I come to them and say, what can I do? What can we do to help you through this? What can I do? What can we do to help you overcome this? And you know, sometimes they'll look at you and say, I don't think that what I'm doing is that big of a deal. And again, that's all of us. There's all of us in different seasons in our life where we have a blind spot, where there's a sin in our life that I just don't want to deal with. I don't even want to admit that it's a sin. I don't even want to admit that it's a problem. And we're not going to judge people. We're not going to assess their worth, their worthiness, or their status with God based on them doing things that we all do just in ways that seem weird and different to me. And so there is a really powerful statement that Jesus is making here about judging. Again, it is not an escape clause from having people involved in your life. And it is, not, it is not something that keeps you from the requirement that you have to be involved in the lives of other people. You need people talking to you about the sin in your life. And God is calling you to step into the lives of other people, but with an attitude that says that we are all on the same team. We're all in this the same. We're all sinners. We're all in desperate need of grace. And without this attitude of what Jesus is calling judgment. Well, thanks so much for being with us as we're continuing this series, going through obedience and commands. Encourage you to check us out sometime at thegrovechurch.org. We'd love to see you on a Sunday, either live in person or online. And again, thanks for listening. 